picture's worth a thousand words, but is it worth a life? That was a question for one photojournalist as he faced the dilemma of whether or not to continue taking the picture or to intervene. He'd been given the assignment by the newspaper he worked for to go out and photograph the storm that was coming in. And as he stood there on the beach, he noticed a woman holding a beer in her hand, going on, kind of stumbling along the beach and the shoreline. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a wave came in, knocked her off her feet to where she was now face down in the sand. And he took the picture, and he had a few seconds, and he wondered if he should take that time to intervene. Just about 20 seconds later, a couple of men who were 100 feet away ran in and tried to grab this woman. But just as they were about to grab her, another giant wave, 20 feet high, came in and took her out and washed her out to sea. She was gone. And in this interview on This American Life, the NPR program, this photojournalist says those 20 seconds continue to haunt him because he had a choice to make, to take a picture to stand idly by and watch, or to do something about it. Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, faces that same situation. He sees the crowds coming His way. They're afflicted in every single area of life. But He notices beneath the surface there is a root spiritual issue going on that they need forgiveness from their sin. And He is angered and moved with compassion because the leaders of that day are not doing what they are supposed to do. And He says these people are like sheep without a shepherd, scattered abroad. And the issue that you and I face is no different today. All around us, we see people searching and moving and looking for something to hold on to in this life. And we face a choice. We can either tell people about it, we can take a picture, we can observe, or we can do something. This is what Jesus calls us to in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. But when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. James Dobson, in his book, Leading the Christian Life, describes what it's like to handle sheep and some characteristics of sheep. He says there's something you need to know about sheep. They are not naturally going to do what's good for themselves. They follow the crowd. They don't always think, and they are very vulnerable to wolves and to outside predators that would take them out. And so when Isaiah writes in chapter 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, he's talking about the human tendency to turn away from God rather than toward God. But Dobson in his book describes it even more. He says in a documentary he watched one evening on television that the way in which sheep are slaughtered is especially deceptive. 
When the sheep are gathered into the slaughterhouse, what the workers will do, because it is unorganized, because the sheep are in an unusual environment and they're terrified of what's going on, the way that they get them from the holding room into the slaughterhouse is through the use of what is called a Judas goat. And what the Judas goat does is comes in, gets the attention of the sheep, walks back and forth until the sheep look at the goat as a friendly animal and leads them up a ramp into the slaughterhouse. The goat takes off to the left in a door that only it can fit through and the sheep go off to the right. And they are led unknowingly, willingly, to their death. Jesus describes this situation that's taking place with the the leadership. He looks at these people. He has compassion on them. The Bible says He is moved with compassion because they are like sheep without a shepherd. The leaders of the day are not doing their jobs. They're taking money. They're telling them what they would like them to do. But they're not showing them how they can receive forgiveness of sin. They're not pointing them towards the Gospel. Jesus is moved by that. You know, one of the most frustrating things as a pastor sometimes is when you start to see people go astray either in sin or turning away from the Lord and you try to help and a lot of times that help is not received. In Psalm 23, we talk about David speaking of the Lord is my shepherd. A lot of times we think of that rod, the shepherd's staff, a rod as a rod of correction. But it's not a rod that you use to beat sheep with. It may be necessary at times, but the the rod actually has a curve on it, and what it is meant to do is to bring those sheep back into the fold, back off of the cliff. It's meant for protection for them. And Jesus looks out over this crowd of people, and He sees them out there, and He says they are scattered abroad, they are being taken advantage of, and they are like sheep, without a shepherd. So he gives us a response what to do about that. He says this is what you need to do as a result, beginning in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want you to notice something here. A lot of times our our tendency in prayer meetings is to pray for a couple of things. We pray for body parts, which is important. Lord, heal whatever organ's got the issue. Heal whoever's going through the surgery or whoever's going through recuperation. Or we pray for, for the lost among us. Both of those things are important. But notice what Jesus doesn't do here. He doesn't say pray for the lost, although we should. He says pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into the harvest. Later on, he's going to say to the disciples, I pray not for the world, but for you. The prayer is not that lost people might get saved. The prayer is that laborers might go out into the vineyards and reap the harvest. He prays for us. Now we understand something about salvation in this room this morning to those who are listening through radio or the internet. We know that salvation is ultimately a work of the Lord. That's what Yahweh means. The name Joshua in the Old Testament. Jesus in the New Testament is a transliteration of Joshua in the Old Testament. Literally means Yahweh is salvation. God is the one who saves. 
Jonah spends all of his time running from the Lord. He gets caught, ultimately ends up in the belly of a fish or a sea creature. And his response to all of that situation in Jonah chapter 2 is remarkable. He really discovers what we all have to discover, that salvation is of the Lord. That's what he says. Jesus says no man can come to God except the Holy Spirit draw him. So we understand that salvation is not of us, it is of Him. Some people say, well, I'm so glad I found Jesus. Well, you didn't find Him. You weren't looking for Him. Sheep don't naturally look for the shepherd. He found you. He drew you unto Himself through His grace. So we know that salvation is of the Lord. It's His harvest. But we also understand something else, don't we? that you and I have a responsibility as laborers in that harvest. That's who He prays for, that the message might go out. That's why He gives us the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the Gospel and make disciples of them. And it is very easy and very tempting of us in the church today to have the type of mentality that we should do all we can to share the Gospel, but if we don't share the Gospel, someone else will. And if someone else won't, then God will ultimately give everybody a chance at the end of their life. One way or another, the gospel will get to them. Now that's very comforting thought. And I totally understand where it's coming from. The problem is, it's not in the Bible. It's simply not true. Let's take that thought at face value for a second. Let's assume that nobody who doesn't hear the gospel, that someone who does not hear the gospel by men will ultimately hear the gospel by the Lord one day. That if we don't witness to them, God ultimately will. If that is true, what is the worst thing we can possibly do for them? Share the gospel. Who do you think is going to do a better job of sharing the gospel with somebody who hasn't heard it before? You or Jesus? Jesus is going to do a better job, is He not? So if it's true that God will give people an opportunity to be saved even if we don't share the Gospel with them, then the worst thing we can do is share the Gospel. But that's not what He says, is it? He says faith comes by hearing. Romans 10. Hearing by the Word of God. How shall they call on Him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of good things. In other words, if you don't go, they don't hear. They're not saved. Why else would Jesus give us this great commission? To go into all the world and preach the gospel if we did not have a responsibility in it. Now He gives us a promise. He tells us that when we go out as laborers in His vineyard in the power of the Holy Spirit, then God is at work there. Paul will say later on, look, I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who gave the increase. He is the one who does that. You're not responsible to make sure somebody gets saved. No one can do that. You're responsible that they know how to be saved. You're responsible to share that Gospel with them. Pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers out into His harvest. We are living at a time when the earth population is bigger than it has ever been. This country's population has doubled since 1950 and we are baptizing fewer people than we did 66 years ago. 
Just recently, the International Mission Board, of which we have 5,000 missionaries abroad, has had to recall almost 1,000 of their personnel due to lack of finances. A time when the Earth's population is increasing at a more rapid rate than it ever has been before, and we are bringing missionaries back home when we ought to be sending them out. We live in this country in which so many things are changing for us, and many of us are discouraged about the prospect of presidential elections. And I don't know about you, but I'm wondering if I can vote at all for any of the candidates that are here nowadays. But we talk about wanting change when we've missed out on the only agent that has ever changed the world. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, we have salt. We have light. We're just not using it. Oh, do you remember times when God has, has worked in our church and in our lives? He's, he's done it even recently. Look at the way that He's worked with the mission in Tell City, with Crossroads. Look at the way He's working in this building. Look at the way we've done that through the years, through missions and mission trips and church plans. But brothers and sisters, we have to reclaim our burden to share the gospel with other people. We have to make it personal, do we not? He says, go into His harvest, pray earnestly. Perhaps the greatest sin in the life of the church today is we have forgotten what it means to pray. We've forgotten to be burdened people. We do not know of Jesus Christ. It has to be personal. This past week was a, a swing of emotions for me. We went to the funeral home um, on Wednesday, Mark and I did, and a couple others, to celebrate the life of our friend Raymond Ward, who had preached the gospel for 91 years, knew the Lord, had had a good life. Many people were there to celebrate his life. And there was a, a sorrow there for sure that he was gone, but there was also a joy in knowing that this man was with the Lord and that we would celebrate with him again one day. Day after his funeral, I received a message uh, from my mother Thursday morning that my 32-year-old cousin was in the hospital and she was on life support and she had been on life support for the past few hours. She was brain dead and they anticipated as soon as they took her off life support that she would not be coming back. I had known her since we were uh, about eight and nine years old together. We were actually in um, my cousin's wedding and her mom's wedding when they got married. They got married on her birthday the same day. She was the flower girl. I was the ring bearer. She took off running out down the aisle. She was so excited about it and um, I had to sprint in order to keep up with her. She was always so enthusiastic about life. She was loving. She was kind. She was very caring. You could see her all that often, but every time I did see her, you know, she'd always come up and give you a bear hug. She was one of those people who was just, she never looked down on anybody. She was so enthusiastic. She had her struggles like, like all of us do. And I just got to see her a couple of months ago. I was preaching a revival in a, in a, in a neighboring church um, back where home was, and found out that she was coming in that day to visit with my great aunt, so I stayed around an extra hour to get to see her and her newborn son, and, and I just prayed, Lord, give me an opportunity to see how she is and where she is spiritually. And she told me about the, the church that, that she had been attending the last couple of months and how God is working in her life, and I remember thinking, man, she just looked so well, better than, than she, had, she had looked in years after all those struggles. And then to receive that call, 
and go to the hospital and see her mom and her stepdad and all the family around there. It was devastated. And to see her teenage son, 13 years old, lose his mom, and a nine-month-old little boy without a mother, it's a reminder to us that we have no idea how much time that we have. And you can think that there'll be a time when I'll share with my family member or my friend. You can think that there'll come a day. But listen, you have no idea where you'll be in the next five minutes, much less where they'll be. And he gives us this promise, too, that when we go out and we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that this harvest is plentiful. It's ripe. They're out there. He says you'll reap if you'll just go. The problem is the laborers are few. How often that's been true in the life of the church. Typically, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. We're always asking for volunteers. But he says this in Proverbs 11. It's one of my pastor's life verses. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That if we are connected with Jesus Christ, that if I understand that my impact as a witness of Christ is directly related to my relationship with Him, that His Spirit is upon me, that even if they reject what I have to say, they will hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ and ultimately people will respond. Even in the midst of rejection, even in the midst of persecution, this past week, as I said, has been kind of a, a flood of emotions. Um, we started the, the, the broadcast ministry for preaching and teaching, all things new. I appreciate so many of you who, who shared that on Facebook and subscribed to the, to the podcast and all the things that, that you did with that. I'm just hoping that that will reach people. If I can, I'd love to share with you how that got started. About four years ago, um, I, about five years ago, at, at the last church where I was, I was really wanting to get the, the broadcast out and also wanting to kind of watch myself as I preached. When we competed for the speech and debate team in college, one of the things that you had to do, and it's absolute torture if you've ever done this, is you had to watch yourself after you gave a speech or after you did a debate so you could improve you know, your gestures, your speaking, what you said, what you didn't say. And I, I hated it, but it was a useful exercise, and I wanted to be able to do that again. The other thing I wanted to be able to do was hopefully get it out to people who wouldn't ever necessarily come to church. I remember, you know, the, the audio and the video quality weren't all that great. We didn't have a whole lot of resources. We were just kind of doing the best we can. And I thought, man, it'd be great if a few people would listen to this every week. And I was thinking, you know, maybe 50, 60, 75. It's discouraging when you look on the count and there's maybe, there's maybe 10 people watching it. And you realize that probably half of those are your mother because she watches it multiple times. And so it's not even accurate, you know. And then I would watch it myself and think, man, I wouldn't watch that either if I was there. And I was sitting in the Mount Tabor Parsons doing premarital counseling with a couple who were about to get married. The guy was not a part of our church, would come when he could. And I asked them, as I always do, how did you come to faith in Christ? Because if they don't know Christ, I want to witness to them. His fiance told me, and, and her husband, her, her fiance was about to respond, and, and he, he wouldn't say anything. He was kind of real quiet. And she said, are you going to tell him or am I? And he didn't say anything. She said, well, I'll tell him. He said, she said, for the past several months, he has been watching those videos that you put on there every single week of your sermons, and he placed his faith in Christ as a result of that. And I thought, Lord, have mercy. 
if one person can be reached through, through some of my sorry, pitiful sermons, then it's worth it to send that out. But I want you to know that whenever you share the gospel with your family member or your friend or someone who you work with or someone who you go to school with and you don't think it's having an impact and you don't think that anyone is watching, God is working in so many different ways that you can't even understand. He's the one who powers it. And he says if you'll go in his spirit and in his power that you will reap a harvest. All you got to do is go and share and God promises that the people that he has placed in your life, you have a responsibility to share that gospel with. And if you will share it, people will respond. And even if only one person responds, is it not worth it? Ladies and gentlemen, this world needs Jesus Christ as much as we have ever needed him. And we have the message. And we have a choice today. We can look around us, we can look at photographs, we can take pictures ourselves and see people drowning in the depth of their sorrow or their sin. Or we can do something about it. We can ask God to give us an opportunity to share with them. And let me tell you something, if you ask God for an opportunity to share the gospel, you pray that prayer, be careful. Because every time you pray it, He will give you an opportunity to do so. And we begin to share that gospel... Oh, the eternal impact that would make. Pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into His harvest. If you bow your heads with me this morning, I'm going to cut this short a few minutes early because I want us to do something that's a little unusual for us. I want us to have a, a focused time of prayer. And I'm going to ask you to do this. I believe there's two things that we need to do in the life of our church right now. First of all, we need to have a time of repentance, myself included, asking God to forgive us of not focusing on Him for not having a burden to share the Gospel. And then we need to have a time of renewal, asking Him to place people on our hearts and on our lives. I want you to think, if there is one person in your life right now in need of the Gospel, you may have more than one, but just at the minimum, think of one. I want you to pray for that person right now. And I want you to ask that God would use you to share that gospel with them, to invite them to come. And I'm going to ask something even more than that this morning, that you and I would come together during this time. And so as our, our musicians begin to play in the background, I'm going to ask if you could get in a posture of humility. Maybe you can come to the front and just kneel right here for a few minutes. Maybe you can kneel right in your seat where you are, and, and if you're not able to physically kneel, maybe you can just get in a posture of humility as, as best you can by bowing your head. But would you join me in coming forward and in getting on your knees and just crying out to God? <laughs> Saying, God, help us. There are people who are perishing and there's a plenteous harvest out there. And He would send forth laborers. And we would go... Would you come right now and get on your knees? This is also our invitation time, and so if you need to pray with someone, you can do that. We'll be available for that. If you need Jesus, please come. But while we do this and while we sing, let's have a focused time of prayer. So folks, come on if you would. Let's get on our knees. Let's get in a posture of humility. Let's all do that together. Let's pray for God to forgive us and then to give us a burden and then pray for one person who needs the gospel. Commit to sharing with them.
Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.